0: Out here in the perimeter there are no stars Out here we is stoned, immaculate Hello and welcome, this is The C86 Show I'm David Eastall, as you know we love a special guest This week it's going to be the turn of bassist Ari Neufeld Who was in the band Breathless They began in the 1980s, early 80s And um, I do believe are still going strong to this day um, but you will find out more about that during this interview yes they are actually I do remember that it was a couple of weeks ago my memory is slightly short now but anyway this is the interview and after several minutes of casual chat which gets led as we get down to that very exciting subject that was the early formative years so this is it breathless check them out. I do believe they're on Spotify and other places. And also they were on 4AD records as well for a a short time. So um, this is Ari talking about her early musical influences. I'll leave it to her to explain everything. Over to you.
1: I mean, I suppose working in a record shop really just opened everything up for me, which is where I met Dominic and how it all kind of started. Because it was like being a kid in a toy shop, you know, you just um before we worked at the megastorm before it went corporate where they had DJs, even though it actually were some quite good DJs. But um you know you could just like go out, well that cover looks nice. Yeah, let's play that. And yeah. um yes. yeah, all the time. Just like discovering, you know, you have to buy it, just played it. I mean that's how I got into I mean Dominic used to buy it used to be the soundtrack buyer. So that's how I got into Morricone and John Barry and all that kind of stuff. Um
0: a great soundtrack.
1: So what, yeah. what were your parents, you,
0: your parents, what were they listening to when you were growing up?
1: Um, classical music. <laughs> yeah, classical music. Right. Yeah, so- big time. And I, I mean, I suppose that's lurking there somewhere. In the, yeah, in the back of my mind. I mean, I know Peter Hook said he ripped off all his bass lines. Well, not ripped off, was inspired by classical music for all his um, bass lines. Um and I guess it is I realise more that's kind of lurking there, yeah.
0: Yes. And did you and when did you first start sort of having moments of thinking, you know, either trying to learn an instrument or or sort of um you know, have sort of some musical direction other than being a punter or listener as I was or still am?
1: Um well I did take guitar lessons at school but i mean it's really bad actually the guitar stage was so horrible to me that i um used to just he just basically he gave me an exercise i did it you know i practiced really hard but i was practicing the wrong thing or misunderstood his instructions went back the next week and played it and he just you know went ballistic and it's like i'm a child you know what what are you doing you know i should be nurtured so after that i just used to play true and, and you know take my guitar with and pretend I was going to the lessons because I was just too frightened yeah so I didn't actually start um playing an instrument so I learned the bass you know when I was a teenager
0: right just, so that like, was I
1: want to learn the bass and I'm going to take lessons and I, I was really lucky I found this brilliant teacher um and he turned me on to Carol Kay and who I still think is one of the greatest bass players ever and um I mean I love the way she looks I love her attitude but I mean the things that she played on just yeah
0: I expect she's I don't know there must be I mean she's played on literally hundreds if not thousands of classic recordings of our time hasn't she
1: yeah, I mean such a wide range of things and she's still like I don't know how old she is now, but she's still sort of yeah, I mean, you know, when she's interviewed and stuff, she's really lively and no, she's just fantastic. And yeah, this guy said, right, I'm gonna teach you how to read the bass clef. Um yeah, this is what you do. Here's some um, here are the Carol Kay books. Let's do it. And My it was God, wow. that was such
0: a lucky break because um yeah you couldn't have got a better teacher.
1: Well, yeah, because he went to... My teacher went to Eric Richards, sorry, <laughs> if you mentioned, because he really probably, yeah, had a major impact on my life. He I mean, went to live in Germany and it was like, oh, I'll just find another teacher. And this teacher was just, like, really horrible. And was like, well, why are you playing it at the top of the neck? You know, what's the point of that? You should always play it under the hand. That's not the correct, you know, all that sort of crap. Um, and I just... I mean, like, I always realised... Eric was a really good teacher, but this was just like, wow, I so realised how good you were when I had to go and have a lesson with somebody else.
0: Right. God. That's that's great to have a mentor straight away. And did you have any kind of brothers or sisters who were sort of kind of influential in, in sort of your musical direction at all? Or...
1: No, I, I I'm an only child, so no. No, it was just, I suppose, it was working in a record shop and just... Every day, all the time, the influence of other people and hearing these things and, yeah.
0: Yes, God, that's quite a break. So whereabouts was, where were you growing up, by the way?
1: In the West End of London.
0: Blimey, you were right there, weren't you? I grew up in the countryside in East Anglia. There was not a lot going on. We didn't have a lot of well, stimulation.
1: But very beautiful, though.
0: It is very beautiful. That is very true. Just a little bit limited on a lot of things culture really. So um I know punk never hit. I don't think it probably hit even now. But um yeah so you saw lots of things going on and changes and that's sort of the punk period as well as the post punk period. So when did you start working in your record shop? Well not your record shop but the record oh, shop. Oh she
1: was that would make me Mr. Richard Branson. Um yeah <laughs> uh when was that and just started, yeah just before we formed Breathless. So I like in the early to mid-80s. I mean, I was, yeah, working, yeah.
0: Had you left school by then?
1: Yeah, I was at college. Right. I was working part I was just working part-time.
0: Yes. So what were you studying at the time?
1: I was studying film and photography.
0: God, that's such a good thing to do at at that age, isn't it? That is very arty.
1: Well, it's great, but (laughs) I went to a reunion and... um, I think nobody on the course. It was such, it was very, I did a foundation and at Chelsea Art School, and obviously that was very arty. And, um, but I was really into photography and I thought it would just be sort of arty photography. And I got into the degree course and that just on the first day I realized it was just gonna be so much theory. And it just, they just drummed any excitement. Or, you know, creativity out of everybody that was on the course. and I went to the reunion, everybody's like, I've given up taking photographs. I just, because like, every time you took a photo, I was like, why are you taking it? What does this mean? What's the, you know, what's the symbolism? And I just did lots of screen prints, and they were like, oh, you're just like that awful anti Warhol person. <laughs> I'm just thinking, do you realize what a brilliant compliment you've just paid me?
0: <laughs> God, your teaching, your teachers were rubbish, really, weren't they? Both at school and the <laughs> college. That's so unlucky, but thank God for Eric Richards. That, that's all yeah. I say. Otherwise, exactly.
1: I mean that's what counts, isn't it? Who cares if you've got a good maths teacher? As long as you've got a good bass teacher.
0: Yes, absolutely. He turned you on to Carol Kane. Fantastic. Yeah, I know she was on the Beach Boys albums, wasn't she? Oh God, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess I mean, she, she was just the way. the,
0: the, the go to person in L.A. Really, wasn't she?
1: You know, I didn't even know where she where. That's terrible. I should know um, where the studio was, where they worked. It might have even. For some reason, I thought it was Detroit, but she did so much um, um, in Motown stuff, but I might be completely wrong about that. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. she was apparently she was a guitarist to start off with, which is probably why she plays such an interesting bass. Yes, I think and then they needed somebody on a session. So it was just like, oh, could you play some bass? And she just played it like a guitar. Yeah,
0: that was I think. That was the same as the um, Jimi Hendrix experience, wasn't it? I think his bass player was actually a guitarist, but they said, look, <laughs> we've got Jimi Hendrix, so let's not worry about that one. That's taking that. You can play the bass instead. It's like, OK, then, which was probably a good decision. So, yes. So but, when, do you, when you met Dominic then, was he in a band as well or was were you just kind of both? Creamy? Oh,
1: well, no, he used to be in a band with Gary called The Cruel Memory before, we, um, before I knew him. And um, so when I met him, um, you know, we talked about forming a band and I might even be in a band with a school friend of mine. And um, everybody was very good. They're all good musicians, but putting in completely different directions. So just like we started playing and it was just like one person was playing jazz, guitar, you know, really all these sort of licks and, you know, really flash, and the drum was all this, but it was just like nothing was... And the singer was a bit sort of like... um, She had an amazing voice, a bit like Amy Winehouse, that kind of very sort of soulful, strong voice. And and I could hear Dominic in the corner playing his key, because he didn't sing yet, playing his keyboard quietly. And it's like, God, I really like what you're playing. And he was like, "I really like what you're playing, but everything else was just horrific." Really, yeah,
0: that's sort of. Um,
1: so we sort of
0: rock. Well, like, I
1: don't. Yeah, <laughs> that probably even makes it sound better than it was. Um, so, um, yeah. so yeah, so we decided to start our own thing, and we started writing stuff in my bedroom and um, wrote a few sort of outlines of songs. And then I think he might have played me his a, a cassette of the Godal cassette <laughs> um of his band with Gary that they were in and it was like I want that guitarist, get me that guitarist. So um he came to rehearsal and it just gelled. No, we didn't speak, we were all too nervous to actually speak. <laughs> well, they knew each other, but Gary and I were too nervous. Yes.
0: Um
1: and we and it all just gelled and sort of happened from there and um and then I had to get Dominic totally drunk to start singing because he was kind of very shy about it and don't sort of say I really want to be a singer but and uh, so it's just like so yeah he just came round to mine and we were having a rehearsal he was playing keyboard and he finally sang and it was like wow <laughs> you it can happened. keep keeping that quiet <laughs> that amazing <laughs> voice god you know
0: Yes. Well, that's it's um it's uh, so really with from that you know it sounded like you you found the perfect combination of the band really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just you kind of hear things in your head and think, oh, I can I can imagine the guitar sounding like this, or and it and it just does. You know, you don't have to. It's just yeah, really easy, and that you know, having been with the 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 jazz whatever band it was. Mm-hmm before um, but it wasn't jazz but you know that mixture of fusion of things putting I saw how hard it could be and it was just wow this is you know the other side of the coin well I suppose at that
0: stage there were quite a few of those kind of jazz fusion high life bands who were quite I mean, I'm sure they were good, but I used to find them quite difficult, really. Yeah,
1: I actually don't think. I mean, I think I'm describing this completely incorrectly. (laughs) It it was just like everybody was off on their own. If you could just like get every sort of music that existed and just put everybody in one room and say, "Right, play together," because you know each other and you want to be in a band, and and this is kind of what you know. These things is what happens, I guess.
0: Yes. So you got your quite quickly because that was '83. But in 84, you released your first single, which was Water, Waterland with the B-side, Second Heaven. So that, um, obviously things were sort of gelling quite quickly at this stage.
1: Um, <laughs> you could say that, yeah. Um, that was a, um, just gonna be a demo. And, um, cause there is a bit in, is it Waterland? One of the side of Waterland or Second Heaven where there's a pause and then Dominic goes, Oh, marry me, marry me. And um, that's because the drummer just, there was a gap and he was like, let's do another take. And he said, no, I can't, that's the best I can do. So we've got to have a gap. So, so Dominic had to sort of build. So it sounds like it's a pregnant pause, but um, you know, Dominic had to build the vocals around that. And so that was going to be a demo. And um, but we took it into work. Into the mega store, and all these people kept coming up, saying, "Oh, what's this?" Like customers, just, "Oh, wow! Well, you know, where can I get this?" And it's so, like, "Oh," and um, that's pretty nice. And then um, we were sort of doing the rounds of A and R people, and um, they were all just saying, "Oh, you know, where's the hit single?" And we were sort of saying, "No, we're really into Pink Floyd, and we're not. You know, we're trying to sort of, you know, we." Were just, do albums and it's not about the hit single it's about and they were just like they just didn't get it at all it wasn't that they weren't interested it was their reasons for not being interested that was just very frustrating and then yeah and with that thing right in the shop happening all these people wanted to buy that it was just like oh yeah okay we'll um bring it out ourselves and then we got them pressed up and they were just under my bed And it's just like, oh, we better find somebody to distribute it now. We're just like completely clueless. Um, And I just sent it off to, I can't remember, you know, all the Red Rhinos and um, Nine Mile and all that. And in fact, Nine Mile took us up and we had a distributor.
0: Blimey, you'd set up almost a record label in, in your first year of a band. You were moving fast. Your admin well, yeah. skills were very impressive.
1: <laughs> Not at all. And then I crossed it <laughs> some journalists in the Megastore and asked him to review it, and he did. And um,
0: it It is amazing in those days, because you did sort of have that ability, didn't you, to have um, – I suppose there were the gatekeepers, especially in that period, wasn't there? Because there was, like, three music papers and Record Mirror, which were – you know, three weekly music papers. Americans always go, my God, you wouldn't believe how lucky that was. And then, you know, we had John Peel as well, just to add it, and various other people who were quite good DJs. So there was, you know, and as I've often said many times, you know, every little town and city would have, you know, an indie night. So there was an opportunity for people to get on those circuits, weren't there? Yeah,
1: I mean, and I... I remember standing outside the BBC waiting for John Peel to give him a record myself.
0: And he said, what did he say?
1: Oh, he was charming. He was very charmed. He was, oh, uh, yes, this is wonderful. You know, this is wonderful. I'll play it, yeah. me,
0: that's very good. I know there's yeah. a few, there's a few people I've interviewed who you know got turned down by John they're still a bit bitter about it really which is a bit of a shame but I suppose he couldn't play everything and there were things he probably didn't sort of go for so much so yes it's a bit of a shame really but um you can't win everyone can you really so uh yes but then because were you kind of aware of that kind of the explosion I think it was an explosion of indie pop in the early 80s you know there was there was a lot of kind of interesting things happening Alice in Wonderland nightclub you know the living room, which you know, Anna McGee started, and was was kind of putting in indie nights and the like. And there was, you know, all those la- you know, small labels that had started, like Creation Records and the Pink Label, Vindaloo Records. Though I think they were a bit later, actually. And and Ron Johnson. So did you did you sort of pick up that kind of energy and excitement that indie pop was starting? Because then in '83 we had the Smiths, which was very exciting. Did that seem to you, as a young person and starting in the band, that you were onto something good?
1: Um, we had to actually play Alice in Wonderland um, very early on, but no, I think actually when we started, I mean, yeah, there was 4AD and that was exciting, um, but it, we actually started because there wasn't that much out there, and it was that thing of if nobody else is going to produce the music we like, then we are. Yes. We were, we were just, like, listening to um, Pink Floyd and Fairport Convention and Tim Buckley and all that kind of thing. We were, you know, Van Morrison, we were kind of out of time, really. We were, you know, 20, well, 15 years too late or so, you know, <laughs> in the 60s. Um, we were in our own little sort of bubble of just like listening to all this stuff and, um, yeah, I didn't. I mean, obviously, it was my bloody Valentine, and um, yes, Spaceman Three. They were kind of like, wow, there's somebody doing something a bit similar to us out there, and um, I remember going to see them. But it it, it seemed a bit like a, a bit like a sort of wasteland, really. Yeah. Right. I mean, apart from yeah, Mute and Four AD, I think pretty much.
0: Plame us indie kids just thought it was a glorious time so um but it you know i mean there was a lot there was a lot going on and then you worked with john fryer didn't you at the Blackwing studios in london what was that experience like
1: it was I we was sort of a bit starstruck i think when we first um went to work there um and we were there because our place we were recording in before everything kind of broke down our feet and so we it was just like oh my god what are we going to do and the um guy that owned it was saying because well, all everything was like bleeding into all the different tracks all the you know you couldn't get a se- separation with each instrument everything was just like all over the place so when we tried to mix it, it was all sort of muddy and he was saying but that's your sound you know why are you complaining and it's like no you haven't you know haven't provided us with a proper studio which I means that's our sound you know we don't want the drums on the vocal track so we were sitting in this studio in clap and just going, you know what the hell are we going to do um and then i think i said why don't we find out how much blackwing is and then we rang up and it was like wow that's pretty cheap you know with john mm. was john fryer included were just asking about the studio and then it's like yes and john fryer you know do you want John Friar as well. It's like, do so we want? John, wow, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So we went to work there. I mean, I think we'd um, we had. I think we'd spoken to Ivo, like, rung him up or something, and asked him to recommend some um, engineer producers, and he recommended John Drosten Madden, who we worked with initially, and then again on Between Happiness and Heartache. And uh, he also recommended John Fryer. So yeah, no, it's amazing at Blackwing. And Blackwing's such a um have you ever been?
0: No, uh, I have not. Uh, been. It's, I
1: mean it's a it's a sort of I mean this is a church and there's it's definitely it's supposed to be haunted and it, there is some strange feeling about it. It's definitely got a vibe. Um and I wouldn't like to be there on my own at night, that's for sure. <laughs> um and it's yeah, and we were rehearsing there was a Rehearsal studio that was attached to it and we rehearsed in there for years. We didn't know it was part of Blackwing, we had no idea. Um, it had a different name and everything, different entrance. Um but yeah, I mean just the, the sound of the plane, you know, the the stonework, the way that made everything sound, and I suppose the history, you know, all those 4AD things. Um yeah, I mean, John's just probably quite shy, very quiet. Um just sort of wow how did you you know get it to sound like that yeah 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 with across the water that's the thing that's still I mean I've said that in interviews and stuff it's still how did he get it to sound like that you know it was a nice song but he's just made it into some sort of I don't know it's almost like a spectresque ward of sound um yeah
0: Amazing. Yes. So were were you, you know, I mean, I know when I heard sort of Stephen Morris from Joy Division saying when he first heard, you know, the, the work of Martin Hannett, he said they were a bit disappointed with the sound. It was like, oh, actually we didn't really want to sound like that, but obviously they went along with it and then it was, you know, the right decision. Did, were you, you know, did you struggle to find your sound and, 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 you know, get something that you felt really like pleased with? Because obviously there's a lot of variables in in sort of creating something, especially when you're in the studio.
1: Um, I mean, I know that story of the Joy Division, yeah, like two of them hated what had been presented to them and two of them loved it, yeah. Um, I mean, we had an abortive um, before we actually, recorded the the class, game probably had a, an abortive session where I think we only probably got one song out of, you know, we recorded about five and only got one out of it. Um, but I think that was probably as much to do with our songwriting skills maybe, or, you know, I don't know, we weren't prepared enough. I'm not sure quite what it was, but I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I don't think it's to do with the producer or anything. I think it's, Yeah, maybe we weren't just ready. Um, But at Blackley, it all seemed to just go really swimmingly. Um, Yeah, we just recorded, we we didn't have much money. We just recorded four songs over, I don't know, five days or something and then mixed them, then went away and wrote the second half of the album, Um, came back and did the same thing, you know, six months later.
0: Yes and re- and and writing material, obviously you've gone from nothing to to sort of like oh well, I must just write some songs with some other people did that that did, did that process come quite were you intimidated by it or did you feel a lot of pressure or did it feel quite not easy but you know um, it it kind of happened
1: yeah, I mean at the beginning I, I just oh well, I think at the beginning because I am um, You know, hadn't been playing bass that long, and I was—it was all pretty basic. Um, I sort of cottoned onto the idea that if I wrote the bass line, then they'd have to join in with me rather than me having to find my way into what they were doing. So, you know, I'd be like, "Here, here's an idea." Um, You know, come—have you got any ideas? You know, come up with something. And so that's how some of our, most of our early songs were written. Um yeah, it was usually just like a riff. It wasn't like a complete song, it was like a riff, and then maybe the other said i will make you go into something else later on and like this or something. No, it's just it was very organic actually. And was Dominic
0: needed. the lyric writer, you know, the lyricist?
1: Yeah. Oh god, yeah, yeah. I mean I've never I've only ever written the music for us. I mean not written the music written my
0: parts
1: in yes. music <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah. i wrote all the music yeah yeah no yeah my bits but no dominic yeah
0: and look and looking back was it kind of an exciting kind of time just seeing somebody and yourself coming up with things and then seeing the kind of the end result quite quickly and thinking my god we we're, we're on a roll here
1: well it's, uh, to me it's still exciting that's still the most exciting thing about being in a band is it all coming? I think Keith Richards said that in his book as well. All um, coming when it all comes together. When a when you can hear a song, that magic that something there's something magical there, and it kind of lifts off. It's not just a few chords that you're playing, but suddenly everybody joins in, and it becomes you know more than the separate parts. the, the yeah. whole is greater than the separate parts, and yeah.
0: And how was, the, uh, how was the album received?
1: Well, the Glass B game, um, again, pretty well. The sort, You know, just sending it out to, oh, look, that person looks like he might like the sort of music we play. I'll just send it to Sounds or I'll send it to... It was just kind of like that. Yes. Um. Yeah, I mean, now, you know, like people get PR people, you know, bands that haven't been signed yet get PR people right you know right early on i mean it's so utterly different now but then it was all just diy and you know it wasn't ignominious to (laughs) keep sending things in or standing outside the bbc or whatever we did yeah so yeah it was yeah
0: and when you went to do the second album was there a little bit of you know i mean the band had obviously been around for a few more years by then and you'd done the album and also, your, you didn't lose your drama, but your drama left, didn't, didn't they? Latimer Sayer.
1: Well, he left actually in the middle of the second album. Right. Because, um, like I was saying, we did these, um, you know, we do half the album, you know, record half the album, go away, and then write the other half. So we'd written the first half of Three Times and Waving um, with Tristram, recorded it as well. And um in the, the months between, he um he left. I mean, he he really changed. He cut his hair. He, he became a state agent. He met a very he had a sort of hippie chick girlfriend, and he split up with her and met quite a sort of straight woman that was obviously like you know you've got to go out there and you know earn your keep sort of she, you know she was that sort of type rather than sort of laid back party type. My God. Um, yeah. but I mean that's probably totally unfair but that, that's <laughs> the, the the impression that she gave from you know a brief meeting and he did you know we just walked into rehearsal one day and the long hair was gone and you know it's very and I think yeah hair I think when people do things like that it does mean they have they want to change in their life in some way or other.
0: Yes yeah, and it was the 80s wasn't it? A few people got Caught up with the world of Thatcherism, I guess. Making yeah. money. it might yeah. have happened. So, what was it like? Because you got Martin, Martin Watts in for that.
1: Yeah, well, we just put an advert in the paper and we interviewed all these people. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, some, I just don't understand why they even answered. I think they just answer every advert, in the, you know, irregardless of what influences you site they just seem to run through every yeah. advert and they obviously don't know what the hell you're talking about when you're sort of saying well, we, we really like the drumming on whatever Joy Division track or something and they're just like who you know what um I think there was one chap which I feel really bad about that we saw waiting for us and we just thought no I can't go through this interview it's just gonna to be too awful and we just turned around and went <laughs> <laughs> um But we, yeah, there were actually, yeah, we auditioned, yeah, lots of, yeah, kind of the next stage after meeting them was like, you know, getting them to come to rehearsal. And yeah, there were lots of really good people. But Martin, I don't know, you know, it's all, because you've got to spend lots of time with them and it's the personality as well. And um, Martin was the one that fitted the best and obviously, you know, really great drum style. So. Are you a bl- bl- and were
0: you doing many live shows at this stage
1: um <laughs> comparatively yeah we were actually yeah um yeah we did we put on shows in art galleries and we played in clubs and we sort of played a few you know like dingles or whatever the sort of indie i think the Bud and gate they used to have um sort of nights of lots of bands and stuff we did lots of things like that yeah And then quite early on, um, we were invited to go and play in Italy, Um, which obviously was really exciting, yeah. In fact, I was listening to somebody put up a tape on the interweb of, (laughs) my boyfriend likes to call it, on the internet of um, a gig we did in Rome um, in about 88, which um, was very interesting to, Listen to, yes. yeah, it I mean, was very thrashy actually. Very sort of sounded like a. It was really fast, sounded like some sort of punk band.
0: God, oh, that's a bit. Yes, but and what was the what was the general audience like? What was the sort of your fan base? You know, because mostly bands have a sort of a type. Did you start to sort of find yourself with a type of audience?
1: Um, I think it was more clearly defined in Italy um I mean they're very sort of romantic and sort of very well read and into art and you know got a very sort of romantic view of life that sort of type really attracted to us and you know even like um letters we got from people in America and Poland and whatever it seemed to be that kind of person that Seem to be really drawn to our music.
0: Because there were quite a lot of bands during that period, weren't there, that, that you've slightly been sort of put in the same sort of category, like is it Sad Lovers and Giants and obviously this Mortal Coil and um, the Copto Twins. Did you also get sort of put in the same sort of kind of categories, you know, early My Bloody Valentine and people like that as well?
1: No, we did actually support them once, which was quite an experience. But um, no, we didn't. And I don't really understand what. I, I don't really understand a lot of the comparisons. Um, I'm not actually entirely sure what Sad Lovers and Giants sound like. But I mean, yeah, there were lots of um Yeah, I mean, lots of goth bands. And it's just like, really? You think we sound like that? It's just and even Yeah, I think even still now people like dance society things. It's just like, what? You know, where did you get off from? I really just don't, you know, I mean, you know quite like them whatever but it's just not what i'm hearing
0: yes that's right yes and did you during that time did you were you still sort of having to do a a part-time job or were you being able to put music as a sort of full-time occupation
1: no i was still working at virgin part-time yeah
0: yes this is i carried
1: on after i um left college
0: a I should to... have really have
1: been working at Virgin Parts when I was at college, but that's another thing. But um, yeah, so I carried
0: on. Yeah. Yes. So when you got to the, the the end of the decade and things were really changing quite a lot, and you brought out this was chasing, chasing promises, how was the band sort of sort of coping with life? Because because what I found is that most bands have a a period like mostly five years where they get together, have twelve months. You know, the honeymoon period, then the first single, then an album, second album, not too bad. Third album, things are starting to kind of. People are just getting a bit tired. How were you coping by then?
1: Um, I think we. I don't remember anything dramatic happening then. I, I think we had more of a crisis after, between Happiness and Heartache, which was in, ninety one. Because, um yeah, so Chasing Promises I think came out in eighty nine. Um, but I mean after Between Happiness and Heartache, we um we kind of recorded a whole album virtually sort of like ha- Between Happiness and Heartache part two, kind of. And it was just like we we're repeating ourselves, this isn't exciting, this isn't, you know, what we want to do. Um yeah, and we had a major rethink and which is what led to Green to Blue, not green to blue, um blue moon. Right. Um But yeah, I think Chasing Promises, we're just, we're still, you know, Martin has recently joined, I mean, you know, done half of the previous album. So it was the first album we wrote entirely with him. Um, So it seemed to be, you know, we recorded it at Blackwing, it seemed to be on a, yeah, although, yeah, maybe after that, because that was the last record we did with John Fryer, I think. So, um, yeah, maybe. So maybe we were looking for a slightly
0: di- yeah different sound. Because I suppose I know from talking to our, you know musicians and artists is that you know there is these kind of periods where you know you get a scene bit of a scene and those scenes kind of do change because the sort of the next wave of I don't know sixteen to eighteen year olds come along and they want their own and and for some reason well not it's not it's quite a straightforward reason you know they they don't want to sort of be particularly listened to something that's already been around they want to discover that next band don't they you know and and in the 80s we had that kind of post-punk period and then the indie punk uh, indie world i mean you also had the mainstream charts and then you you know then we got ecstasy in the rave world and then seattle kind of grunge i mean there's always other music and scenes going on around that but they they were the main ones so i just wondered how you were navigating that especially as you're going into another decade and then you know everybody wanted another sort of nirvana or or some sort of you know grunge was such a big thing before you know Britpop sort of came along and kind of knocked that out of Hilter so I just wondered how you were sort of dealing with that that kind of you know both being in the band for quite a bit of time and also trying to sort of keep it interesting
1: um I think because we're think we've always kind of been on the outside anyway in a way which is maybe was a bad thing at the time maybe because people didn't quite know where yeah hence all those weird comparisons but actually I think it's a good thing so um kind of scenes came and went and it didn't really um affect us um I mean I do remember like I mean I'm I'm a really big Hole fan, which people just like, you're into Hole, but I thought you just spent your entire life listening to the Corto Twins. Um, but I kind of, well, don't just disappear, I kind of thought, yeah, I'm going to write a really big, big, you know, growling riff for this song. Um, so I guess that's where, yeah, something like grunge might have influenced it slightly, but, you know, it's the same people. We're always going to sound like Breathless, even if some new elements come in. Or, you know, I mean, like don't just disappear. It had that big growling bass, but then, you know, there's all the sort of sweeping, moody keyboards, and you know, which is nice because otherwise, it wouldn't be us.
0: Yes. So then, in the night, in the early 90s, did the band have a sort of a break? You know, a bit of a hit the pause No, it spot. didn't
1: have a. Break, but um, after between happiness and heartache, um, and when we, like I said, when we recorded this sort of between happiness part two, that just was a bit not very exciting, we um, yeah, we had we didn't have a break, we just had a sort of rethink and um, started work on Blue Moon very slowly in a completely different way, um, and at that time we got a the studio basically a recording studio that we could rehearse in. It was like people that knew each other, we shared the keys and you just paid whatever a month and you had the use of the studio one day a week.
0: Oh, so not, communal.
1: yeah, no, I mean it's great, but that sounds wonderful on one hand and it was great that we could rehearse stuff. And then when we went to record stuff, um we, you know, we knew what the room sounded like. So that really, really worked to our advantage. But the downside was that having a rehearsal that can go on for however long you want, basically twenty-four hours because you've got the day. I mean, not the average figure out, but you know, there's no like, yeah, right. You know, time's up. Get moving. Da da da. You know, so that kind of made us very self-indulgent.
0: Blimey, that must have been, I mean, that takes must have been. It must have been like Frank Zaphurst. <laughs> just just doodling. Did you start doodling?
1: Um. <laughs> I don't know about doodling, but we did. Um, I mean, we did blue, blue moon, yeah, moonstone, the um, free giveaway album, which is just basically instrumental. Where we all play keyboards and we just recorded it like that. You know, there was no as we wrote it, we recorded it, and that was it. Um, so that kind of opened up something like that, and it still sounds pretty good now. Actually, I'm quite surprised because it, you know, it was just turning the tape machine on and putting a couple of microphones in the room and seeing what happened um and blue moon itself was a kind of more structured or i mean we worked like that but then we you know cut the the tape um but it was a sort of similar way of very self-indulgent way of working
0: yes and were you kind of when you sort of come across bands like um Rose or, or muzzy star did you did they, did they occasionally sort of surprise you or sort of give you some sort of creative enthusiasm, you know, just in the sense of what they were, you know, trying to do oh, as well? I
1: mean, I love Massey Starr, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, there's there's probably more inspiration, contemporary inspiration later on than the maybe was at the beginning, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's lots of, Stuff, I mean, Sparkle Horse, Mazzy Star. I mean, I'm trying to think who else in the 90s, Mark Laniger. I mean, Screaming Trees. Um, yeah, there always seemed to be somebody to go and see. Um, yeah, something really inspiring, something you know, Mercury Rev, Butthole Surfers, all that kind of thing. There was just, yeah, endless brilliant music coming out.
0: God, we loved the Butthole Surfers, didn't we? God, they were great. Great band life. So, yes, did it. And what was the response of Blue Moon?
1: Oh, um, quite amusing. Everybody, it's, especially abroad, actually, people were like, oh dear, we're really sorry. You, you can't afford to work at Blackwing anymore. You've had to go for this really sort of cheap, lo fi sound, you know things must be really bad we're like no don't you understand we tried to strip it all down you know this is intentional this is what we wanted to do you know yes um so there was a bit of a sort of yeah i think people appreciated. it you know when we reissued it i think people appreciated a lot more then this time around but initially it was a bit like you know what's happened what's idea oh sort of thing
0: Yes, absolutely. Because when you were recording, is it Behind the Light, which came out a few years later?
1: Yeah.
0: You brought that one out. That was 03. But then in 06, Martin Martin left the band, didn't he, the, on drums? Yes, he did,
1: yeah.
0: And was that a surprise? Had that been something that you were aware that was going to happen sooner or later?
1: No, um, but that was probably the most... Um, biggest sort of crunch point or ever because we were we just we weren't being very productive we'd done behind the light and we just sort of came to rehearsal and sort of tried to jam and it wasn't it wasn't that spark or that enthusiasm so um i just said i think we should either we should take two months off and when we come back we're either going to have two songs each and that will be the backbone of a, an album, or if we don't, then we should split up. But you know, we can't just carry on, you know, faffing around or wasting time or wasting money, you know, this is ridiculous. Um, so, we all, Judy went off and, because Martin, as well as playing drums, he did play keyboards and stuff, so he did, you know, had input in that, so he did sort of write things as well. <laughs> um, so, anyway, we went off to write our songs and came back and. We all just laugh about this now because Dominic and Gary and I were just sitting there, and Dominic was playing. I want you to realise with a you know tinny drum machine on his keyboard, but you know it's a brilliant song, yeah, and it was pretty well formed, yeah, already then. And Martin just walked in and said, "I, I want to leave the." For... <laughs> <laughs> Dominic's like, "Oh my God, did that song sound so bad that he?" <laughs> Yeah, you know that was the final straw or whatever <laughs> I mean obviously it wasn't but um and in fact he said because we still well I haven't actually seen him recently but um you know we were in touch afterwards and um he said he was really he really wanted Green to Blue not to be good or whatever he was really sort of wished he hadn't left because it was because he was really impressed with it right. well yeah, he didn't say he wanted to be good but you know what I'm saying he sort of regretted his decision well it's a difficult
0: one because i think we've all done something like that where you think right i'm going to leave hoping the whole whatever it is will finish and someone someone says oh okay we'll keep it going and then there seems to be a fresh energy (laughs) yeah annoying and everyone seems to be suddenly making much more effort than they did which you just have to think god that's so i'm feeling so hurt here and uh (laughs) And then they get someone else in. They go, this is the best thing we've ever done since you've left. You think, mm, please don't rub it in quite so much. So, um, <laughs> yes. So then who got in touch with your original drama to say, oh, by the way, there is, a, there is a job here?
1: I think it was me, but I can't remember what on earth. I think he got in touch with us anyway for some other reason, which I really can't remember what it was, actually. Um. um... I mean some of the songs on that album were actually recorded with a different drummer who was just helping us out. Um and that whole album was recorded like with um very basic drums, like you know, drum machine drums just to sort of keep the beat and stuff. Um, and then the drum parts were added later. Yes. Um, so yeah, first of all we did it with another this other drummer, Greg, and then for the second session with Tristan. But yeah, actually, I can't remember why we were in touch with Tristan, but um, I remember sending him a CD and sort of saying, oh, would you, because he was living in Somerset, you know, do you fancy coming along? And and he was a bit reluctant at first, but um, yeah. And it was just like, all those years, it just disappeared. He just came, you know, he was, Kind of before he became an estate agent he was he was like he was then you know right Back when we first met him what was his um, what was his hair like sort of um shaved with a i think it was some sort of mohican or pony, some sort of you know i mean had, had bit, the estate but, yeah.
0: agent has had that career finished by then hmm.
1: oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah that was a, a very short uh, a fleas. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah um he'd gone for taxi driver hadn't he really (laughs) well thankfully only in look not in attitude or lifestyle choice yeah um so yeah it all just really fell into place and it was really nice
0: yes god that must have been quite of um a holistic coming together really
1: yeah no it was great
0: I I just throw that in there. So look, does that mean then? Because from your, your press release that I was seeing that you're working with the famous Kramer?
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. So how did so this is a project or well, the new album? Um when did when did you start recording this?
1: Well, we started recording this in about 2014. Basically, we um we were doing we played in Germany and Italy. Um Promoting green to blue, we um, came. We played this song. We should go driving, um, and it went down really well. Um, came back, and was like, yeah, we're going to record this. So I think we might have had another song lined up to record with it, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd um, booked the time in the studio, and then like three days before, Tristram's girlfriend called and said he's been in a car accident, and it was like, oh shit. And um, and he's in a coma. Um, so for months, we didn't know whether he was going to live or die. Yeah. Which is, yeah, really. I mean, it's just awful, awful. Mm. Um, and, and then he came out of the coma. Um, and, you know, very, very slowly. Well, you know, started walking again and, you know, very basic. Things. Um, so, in the meantime, we'd started like with the previous album working, you know, with drum machines and stuff. But I'd also, I mean, it's weird how these things happened because before Tristram's accident, I decided I wanted to learn Logic Pro, you know, whatever yes. it was not at the time. And um, so, I started learning that and started learning how to program drums, amongst other things um so basically the um so yeah the drums on this album are all programmed apart from one track which is the song we should go driving which um we got another drummer to come and play and also had and also has um programmed drums as well but i've said to kramer choose whichever you think works better. And I think probably the programme ones will, because all the other songs don't have real drums. And I think, you know, for it to sound unified, I think, you know, it probably will just have those programme drums.
0: Yes. And what's it like working with, with such a sort of charismatic producer?
1: Well, I mean, we haven't, I've never met him, I hasten to add. Uh, he lives in Florida. Um, but obviously we've had lots of nice um, emails and stuff um well yeah i mean it's great we're just a bit in awe really um i mean he did he mixed three tracks on green to blue um i think he approached us and they're all just like it was like i heard it in my head but he's got the you know he knows how to do it whereas i can only vaguely try yeah, to mix a song to sound like that, but it's just that like how I heard it and he did it on these three songs. Um, and they just sounded amazing. And it was like, right, well, you know, our next album we're gonna get him to mix it.
0: Yes. Um, you, and were you kind of familiar with much of his kind of stuff? Because I know one of the bands I really loved of his was Bon Bomb, Bondwater, which was um with Anne Magnusson on vocals. I just wondered if they just created a fantastic sound.
1: I've heard them, but actually, the things that I particularly like are, um i mean, the things that I really, really listen to. Are obviously, Galaxy Five Hundred. There's another band from the early nineties, um, Low. And have you heard that band Flavor Crystal? I mean, he did, I can't remember what the name of the album is. He did one of their albums, and the, just the sound he got on that is just totally amazing. My God,
0: I know I know Galaxy Five Hundred, but I don't know that one. No. What was it called again? What was the album? The
1: band's called Flavour Crystal.
0: Flavour Crystal, Built yeah. The
1: American you know, Flavor
0: Crystal.
1: Yeah, I um, know yeah, it's an amazing sounds, And obviously, you know, Low, I love that. It's just that yes. big, big, boomy, you know, drum and the space and everything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it when he got in touch with us. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a big, obviously, leap of trust because it's just like, here's the album. <laughs> Mix it. But I mean, I, I think last time, there might have been like, sort of, oh, could you just turn the guitar up? Or, or you know, like a very minor thing that you'd say if you were in the room with the person. Um, yeah, and that's what happens when you do mixes. But um, no, I mean, i was so pleased. We were all so pleased in fact with the, you know, what we did last time. But, yeah, I mean, it's really exciting.
0: Yes, because did you set up your own record label as well, or is it now that you've set up a label to release your own material?
1: What you mean in addition to Tenevosa? No, I mean no, I mean no. We set up Tenovosa right in um, when we started, you know, the Water Band. We set up Tenevosa. Um, but then about in you know, around I think it was two thousand and five. Um, I heard this band Bender which is, you know, Steve Garlick and James Johnston, you know, from Gun and Drunk and
0: Major yeah.
1: Harvey Bad Seeds, all that. Um, and Geraldine Swain, who's an amazing visual artist, um, their band Bender, um, I saw them play, and it's just like, wow, I've got to bring something out by them, and Donny and Gary weren't as keen as I was. So I said, "I, you know, if you don't want to produce on 10 of i think i'd like to release it myself so that was the first tv records release
0: oh right my god i so i so to get this right you've you've created two record labels
1: yeah there's that there's so there's 10 of Osso and we released scenic um and molly and i can't remember Sure, there's some other things, I can't remember, but those, yeah. And then came Bender, and then after that, there was Richard Warren and John Murray and um various other people.
0: Blimey, you have (laughs) been busy, haven't you? This is this is good. Because um, so so really this year it's going to be the new album, isn't it?
1: Well, I hope, yeah. I mean, I, I was pretty surprised when I With between happiness and heartache, to find out that the turnaround time for vinyl is now five months, then if you're aware of this, right? No, um, yeah, so basically, so the the day that you send the pressing plant the masters, you can expect your vinyl five months later, which is you know (laughs) quite a long time,
0: it's a very long time.
1: I mean, it's about double of what it used to be. I mean, I was reading, I didn't really, I just thought it was brexit um but i was reading some article about this um i mean a lot of it's obviously to do with covid and in america they've had to shut down lots of pressing plants because of covid or you know temporarily shut down and so americans are getting their stuff pressed in europe which oh. is like so we're getting pushed at the back of the queue um and also specifically at this time of year there's record store day which isn't going on for three weeks this year so everybody wants to get their stuff in for that so there's this huge huge backlog
0: yes basically christmas isn't it now
1: oh yeah i mean i'm people you know doing photo shoots for christmas starting their pr campaigns yeah i mean it's all that's so yes hopefully We'd like to bring it out to the end of the year, but it may be at the beginning of next year because of the five-month.
0: Wait. Yes, God, it is quite a quite a thing, actually, isn't it? Yes, and you, are you are you also from that press release celebrating your a kind of a thirtieth anniversary as well?
1: Well, that's the um, yeah of that particular record between Happiness and Heartache. Yeah, we released it in 1991. I mean, this wasn't some great. Um, PR marketing plan Um, (laughs) what happened was that last year 1972 you know that record label in America um released the glass speed game um in the states on vinyl and um it was like oh wow you know this has got a really good response this is you know this is nice this is exciting we got some nice reviews and stuff and it was like um and so we decided to reissue Between Happiness and Heartache because we were kind of not so keen on, it was like, can we release three times a wave it, maybe take one of the tracks off and, you know, and it's just like, no, you know, you can't do that, you've got to reissue it, how it is. So it was just like, right, well, let's do Between Happiness and Heartache and go back and discuss the other albums at a later date. So um, that's what's happening. And then it just sort of Oh, let's do it in a heartache pink vinyl. That would be nice. And then, oh, let's get Kevin Westenberg to you know do some photos from the archives. And oh, and let's make it gatefold.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I spoke to quite a few people who, I suppose, have got small record labels in America, and I asked them what it was like the last year, you know, for you know selling bits and pieces and they said it's been quite a good period because I think people have been just sitting at home sort of putting things in their cart and hitting oh I'll just buy it now because frankly I'm a bit bored and I I need cheering up and actually you know a lot of record sales for those kind of smallish labels and and bands have 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 been you know quite a good good period really so have you sort of found kind of more people discovering you all wanting to go back and sort of replace things or get things for the first time on different formats
1: yeah i mean i think because um although 1972 released the the vinyl we released the cd ourselves in the uk and yeah it was lined up for i think it was may last year and it was like oh shit that's right in the middle of the pandemic you know shops are closed distribution everything was closed and it was like shall we put it back what should we do and then it was like oh well we've got some reviews lined up so maybe that would be stupid to put it back and not you know benefit from these nice reviews so um yeah no it was yeah it was very positive
0: yes that's that's pretty amazing actually and john perry what was he like to work with because he did um was he did he do the did he work on one one flowers oh yes flowers died didn't he? yeah
1: um yeah i mean again we were um I think particularly Gary um starstruck by his um well yeah by him turning up. Um yeah he was only going to mix flowers die. I mean it's in the yeah in the press release pretty much but um yeah we couldn't find Peter Perry. We we're just trying to track him down, couldn't find him because you have to ask people's permission, you can't just cover their songs. Um and yeah that led us to John Perry which is you know really lucky. And, um, yeah, we asked him to come and mix the song. And and he was just in the studio, sort of, I think he was either sort of, he was playing air guitar or playing a real guitar, but you could see he was sort of coming up with something. And it was like, and I think he said, oh, I can hear another guitar part. And I was like, well, do you want to play it? (laughs) (laughs) That'd be great if you could play it. And he was like, oh, yeah. so, yeah, he did. It was, he did it in one take brilliantly. And <laughs> it sounds fantastic. Um, that must have
0: been quite a moment, you know, because that song, you know, Another Girl, Another Planet, it's one of the oh, most...
1: Oh, God. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, yeah, fantastic. I mean, it's so fantastic. I mean, yeah, we all love The Only Ones. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I because it's on a quite obscure it remains i think um flowers die quite obscure um have you heard the original no yeah it's quite it's not as polished as um you know another go another planet it's not as well produced so that kind of gave us courage because it's like well probably we can't make it you know we can't really ruin it you know it's not this sort of lavish production um so yeah, and it's, you know, we were very happy with the way it sounded at rehearsal and stuff, and yeah, so we Brilliant.
0: did it. That is fantastic. But yeah,
1: we've never, ever
0: done cover versions. It's, yeah. Yes, well, that's good. And look, lastly, I mean, if you were, if you could have said something to your 16 or 18-year-old self start out with all the, the wisdom, wisdom and experience, I mean, is there anything that you would have just kind of wanted to have whispered in their ear? Either, yes, keep doing that, or I would look at that or don't do this. I just wondered what, what sort of things, key moments or messages you have.
1: I'd just say, follow your heart and do what you enjoy doing. I mean, you spend your entire life, you know, at work. So if you're lucky enough to be able to have the choice, which I know a lot of people don't, but, you know, follow your heart and follow your dreams and, you know, do what you really... Enjoy doing. I mean, yeah. it's so important. It's so important. Yes. It, it doesn't. It doesn't even matter if anybody else likes it, as long as it's what you enjoy doing and you're proud of what you've achieved, and that's the important thing.
0: Does it feel quite amazing that this this has been a kind of a journey that's nearly it's nearly forty years now, isn't
1: it? It's. It seems totally unbelievable, actually. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm so lucky to get up every morning and do what I like doing best.
0: Yes, I know, it's it's brilliant. I mean, and you have got, you know, a huge body of work as well, isn't, you know, which is incredibly impressive that, that um, you know, you've got so much to show as well. You know, you didn't just do the five-year period that, you know, like I've mentioned before, you know, with a lot of these bands, they just did five years. It all goes slightly wrong. They sort of give it up and... Yeah, you know, occasionally I mean, you come back to music, but you kind of stuck with the band and and sort of have have sort of carried the flame, so to speak.
1: I mean, I think the thing that's nicest is like, well, yeah, when we played in Italy last time, there were all the old fans that have been with us right from the start. But the best thing was there were all these young kids that were really into us. I mean, that's you know, that's just so uplifting and makes you realise you're doing something right. Yeah. A whole new generation can hear your music and be inspired by it.
0: I know Spotify is probably a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? I don't know if that's the right term. But there must be, it must help people discover the band who've never come across you.
1: Yeah, I don't actually, I don't really know how they do. I've never questioned it. Um, but, it, yeah, it was just like, wow. Because, you know, sometimes... You go and see your favourite bands playing. You know, they haven't played for a while and you go and see them and it's just full of, like, old codgers. That is, so de- that is I mean, so
0: depressing. That is just the worst. I
1: know. And you just think, oh, God. So, I mean, I've yeah. been in an
0: old people's home, really, aren't you? That's what we're thinking. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. You
0: know, there's gonna be there's more conversations you ever hear of people talking about going to doctors and hospitals and you're thinking, not really what I want on my night out. I want an escapism. <laughs> I don't want to hear about your sticky bladder or your bad hip you know it's shit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah so that's one reason to have um, a young audience yeah to keep to them. Save for that, if nothing else
0: yes you know but I just put like
1: whole new um life into things and also it's just so great that you know like Dominic and Gary always like talking about th- youth know, have you heard this have you heard that but you know it's it's not just like this I mean I, I do you know, I've been listening to Roxy music pretty well non-stop through lockdown but I mean you know it's not like that we're sort of stuck in this thing in the past but there's just constantly new things you know. Yes to well, and...
0: well I suppose it's like I do sort of try and catch these things I did see the uh, Billy Eilish film which was quite interesting on several levels mainly because you know the way she and her brother records all their stuff seems to be sitting in the living room with her on the sofa and it's like Quite interesting. Sells a billion copies, you know. So it's it's kind of interesting how people are making music now and um yes doing it quite differently.
1: Well yeah, I mean that's how a lot of our album was recorded at home. I mean, we did a couple of um sessions in a studio, but actually at home, I don't know, it's just because you're not you know, the clock isn't ticking and you're just thinking, oh my god, we're paying for this and whatever. You know, you just like have an idea and you put it down when you have the idea and just add it, so that's how we worked. You know, I, I put down the drum tracks and then it was like, I've put down some bass and some guitar or something and then sent it to the others and they, add, you know, like, we'll, I mean, I don't think we actually started these songs from scratch like that. We'd sort of done stuff in rehearsal, practice stuff, worked out what we were going to do, but that's actually how the recording happened, you know, just have our setups at home and um, record that way
0: yes this is good so does that mean that you you already sort of got material for another album after this one
1: i don't know about that i mean actually this album i've just been adding more and more layers as you know it's like yeah i'm just going to edit it because it's like oh my god we can't send cream of that that's just ridiculous that's you know it's just all these messy files and unlabeled and what's this and how did the rehearsal session, get into the middle of the song and all that. So while I'm trying to sort out all of this stuff, it's just like, Oh, I've got an idea for, I'll just add another layer. So it's just been um, actually just adding and adding to um, what we have. I mean, you know, I think like literally the day that I sent the final mix, not final mix, well, the final rough mixes to Chroma. I was still adding some sort of woffsy, synthy sound or something that I'd thought, oh, that would sound good.
0: Yes, God, so it really is a case of trust, isn't it, that he's going to be able to um, pull all this apart and stick it together and say, that's it, this is what I've come up with.
1: <laughs> well, thankfully, the way that um, logic works now, it's much less of the pulling apart, because he'll open it and there will be a mix of some description, um, you know, so it's like, oh, that's kind of how they, probably quite like it, you know. Yeah. So and then he can add his magic or say, Oh my god, I don't know why they thought that song like, <laughs> I did, did this.
0: I did interview one of the uh, producers I think it's Mark Saunders, who occasionally says someone will just give him a load of, you know, recordings and say, There you go. And he'll just go, actually this isn't that good. You're gonna have to do it and send it back because, you know, I've got a great you know like he said you know like fantastic cv and you know great sort of uh track record but you can't produce you know magic out of something that's a bit half-assed really so um yes it's kind of it must be quite an interesting process for you sort of saying right this is this is definitely good enough you just have to you know sprinkle your fairy dust on it and make it even better
1: well i think yeah chrome's obviously very patient because i'm sure some of these Tracks have been, you know, recorded too quietly, or there's too much background noise, or, you know, whatever. You can hear the chair creaking, but um he hasn't. He's very kindly, just been very complimentary about our music. He hasn't. <laughs> so emailed me saying, "What's, you know, why is there a creaky chair or anything?" He's <laughs> like on with the flow and. Seems to be really into it, which is
0: great of him. Yes. Well, no, it's going to be fantastic. Well, I look forward to that. Actually, so there you go. But look, thank you ever so much for giving me the time for this. This has been amazing. So, thanks. And I might get in touch with Dominic as well. Would he be interested? or good. I'm
1: sure there. he would. Yes. um Yeah. Shall I? But you can get in touch with him. But I can lay the pirate, yeah. pave the way if you want.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Does he have an email or does he have? Um... Um,
1: he does have an email. I'll.
0: Just send it over. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And that'd be great. Oh, look, thank you ever so much. And uh, look, good luck with the, you know, when you get to the hairdresser as well. It's always an exciting experience. (laughs) It's almost up there with getting your, you know, if you were going for the vaccine jab, it's, it's that emotional. That's what I think it's it's like well to be honest i'm a bit bored at the idea of my second one the first one though i was like oh my god this is so exciting but it's such a you know a period of time that you just know whatever
1: yeah it seems unnecessary i mean people that live in europe get those within a month
0: yeah yeah it seems a long long time but look thank you ever so much for this and um, i'll keep in touch i'll send you the link if you want and then you can you know always post it on one of your yeah no that'd be
1: great okay yeah. no, that's great no I've really enjoyed it that's great
0: oh good okay look thanks okay, a lot thanks. keep in touch take care okay I
1: will yeah thanks bye
0: bye-bye and that was me in conversation with Ari Neufeld from Breathless if you want to know any more information they do have a website just google breathless band Harry Neufeld and you 'll find lots of information. I do believe they're on social media as well, probably Facebook as a guess. anyway, a big thank you for giving me the time for that. This has been David East or, the c 86 show. If you want to contact me for nice reasons, nothing unpleasant. you can on facebook twitter Instagram just do c86 show and um, yes, all these have been archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, iTunes, and Podbean. That dear listener is that if you 're still listening. <laughs>
1: Oh, come on. Anyway, look, have a great week. Stay safe.